Okay, good morning again. Uh, let's turn to Revelation 16. Revelation 16. And again, come out and, and, and join with us tonight as we pray for souls to come into the kingdom for this VBS program. Well, we, uh, we have arrived here at chapter 16. Uh, we've entitled uh, this piece, uh, In the Crucible with No Way Out. And we want to read up until verse 16, 16, 16. And John says, Then I heard a loud voice uh, from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. And so the first went and poured out his bowl upon the earth, and a foul and loathsome sore came upon men, men who had the mark of the beast and, who, and those who worshipped his image. And then the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it became blood as, a, as of a dead man, and every living creature in the sea died. Then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and the springs of water, they became blood. And I heard the angel of the waters saying, You are righteous, O Lord, the one who is, who was, and who is to be, because you have judged these things. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink, for it is their just due. And I heard another from the altar saying, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. And so then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and power was given to him to scorch men with fire. And the men were scorched with great heat, and they blasphemed the name of God, who has power over these plagues. And they did not repent and give him glory. And then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and on his kingdom, became full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. And they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and did not repent of their deeds. And then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and, it, and its water was dried up so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits, like frogs, coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. They are spirits of demons, performing signs, which go out to the kings of the earth and of the, of the whole world to gather them uh, to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. Words of Christ here, Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And so they gathered themselves together in the place called in Hebrew, Armageddon. <clears throat> Lord, as we, uh, as we read these, Lord, horrific judgments, Lord, that are coming upon the earth, Lord, uh, it's not easy. Lord, we realize that the wrath of God is, is horrific. 
And we want to say thank you once again as we even consider the wrath of God. We want to thank you for the cross. Lord, for there you poured out your wrath upon all those, Lord, who would put their trust and belief in you. Pouring out your wrath upon yourself, upon your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, taking our place, being, becoming our substitute, taking our punishment. Lord, may we never forget that. May we always be reminded, Lord, of the power of the cross. And Lord, what it has wrought, what it has done for us. And what it can do for anyone, Lord, who will turn. Who will simply turn to Christ. And simply believe in what you've done, what you've said. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for the, the revelation of the gospel. And Lord, as we look at your word today, Lord, we pray that you would inform our hearts and our minds. And that, Lord, you would give within our hearts a, a gratitude, a thankfulness. That as we read these terrible things that will happen, that's a time, Lord, that we will not be there. But Lord, may it do something in our hearts. Lord, may it change us. Lord, in the sense that we would have a, a love for the lost, that we'd have a compassion for people. Lord, knowing what's coming upon, Lord, the face of this earth. So, Lord, we, we thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your presence. Lord, just as we worship this morning, as we gather and, and welcome one another, there's just a, it's just like a little piece of heaven. Lord, just a, a glimpse of what heaven is going to be like. And, Lord, we want to see others, Lord, enter into that. We want to see others join in and rejoice and, and praise your name and give you thanks and have appreciation for the fact that what you have done, Lord, for our lives. So we commit this time to you, Lord. We ask you to meet with us. Lord, give us uh, hearing ears, open hearts. Lord, uh, give us, we pray, uh, that insight. We, we know that, that the purpose of prophecy is, is history. It's, it's the future, uh, the future in advance. And so help us, we pray, Lord, um, to understand these things and to put them, Lord, in the right the right context. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Well, as we move from chapter uh, 15, uh, we move from a number of heavenly scenes there in that particular chapter. But now as we move into this chapter, sort of we kind of go into the grist mill, the, the grist mill of judgment uh, in chapter 16 as we see these final uh, judgments that are going to be poured out upon the world uh, at that future time. And, and when it's going to take place is probably, probably very close to the end uh, of that seven-year period. And when they take place, as we see here all in one chapter, as we looked at the seal judgments and trumpet judgments, uh, these judgments here really, in a sense, are sort of an intensification of those. Uh, and they happen in a very rapid kind of succession. You know, Jesus said this in Matthew 24, verse 22. He said, unless these days were shortened, uh, that basically man, no one would be saved alive. Um, it's not that God's destroying us. We would destroy probably one another, uh, you know, under basically the tutelage, uh, the people on the earth under the, the, the leadership of Satan because Satan is a murderer. He's a destroyer. Uh, and if it wasn't for the Lord's intervention um, and his grace, uh, no one would be saved alive. So you see, it's interesting as we look at these things, and we've seen this as we've moved through this book of Revelation, uh, that even in judgment there is mercy, 
You know, God is a merciful God, and it says that mercy triumphs or rejoices over judgment. And I'm so thankful, you know, for that, that God is a merciful God. And, you know, one of the things that gives me hope, even though sometimes we don't see a whole lot of people getting saved in a, in a wholesale kind of a way. I can remember, even back in 1988, um, uh, our church was uh, one of the bigger churches. Uh, Farmington was one of the bigger churches involved in the uh, Billy Graham crusade that took place then. And, uh, and I was in charge of uh, the follow-up, all the names and so forth that came in. Uh, and I was just, you know, just kind of surprised, actually, uh, that many of those folks were, were folks who were saved. Many of them were rededicating. Uh, and even, you know, this tremendous thing that God was doing, um, you know, it was a little bit surprising to me uh, of the, the few people that were just newly saved. Uh, and I'm sure it's, in a sense, always been like that. You know, when you think about even the church today in the world, it's a remnant. It has always been just a remnant. You know, that's why sometimes, uh, you know, we get discouraged. We sow a lot of seeds. We may hand out tracts. We may talk to a lot of people about the gospel. So don't be discouraged because, you know, people don't readily uh, respond maybe to your message. Um, you may, uh, you know, you may get uh, one of a hundred, uh, but praise God, we need to realize that that's really the norm. Um, you know, but God is, God is constantly working, and, and maybe the investment, the seeds, and the work that you've done, the labor that you've done, the labor of love, uh, that God will use that uh, along the line. Excuse me, as someone, someone else comes along, and they harvest you know, that person. I think things like, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, the Grand Crusades and Greg Laurie Crusades and, and, and Luis Palau, I, I, you know, and Billy Graham will tell you this too. Most of the work has all been done before the crusade, you know, happens. I remember they coached us, you know, during that. They said a lot of people um, are just there. All the work has been done, sometimes years of work invested in their lives, and, uh, and they come forward, you know, at the crusade. Uh, you guys remember John Chivetta? Uh, John Chavetta came forward in one of the uh, Greg Laurie Crusades back in the 90s. And uh, Mary had already come to Christ, and she had been working on John and praying for John for a number of years. And uh, you remember John, uh, one of our, our head usher uh, for a while, just a great guy. And, um, and I think there's a lot of situations like that. Uh, so don't be uh, discouraged when it comes to uh, your, your work, your labor of love. It's not in vain, you know, in the Lord. Now, what we find here in chapter 16, uh, in this first verse here, there's a loud voice uh, uh, basically commanding the angels to go uh, as they have these bowls of judgment and to pour them out. You know, I was kind of wondering what, what, were they maybe a little bit hesitant? And if they were, no one could blame them. Because even as we read these things, there's a little bit of reluctance. You know, we don't like reading about judgment. And I, I would imagine if, if the angels had all needed a little bit of prompting uh, and a command now that they need to go, and I imagine as they looked into those bowls, uh, just like in a sense the Lord Jesus, when he was in the garden and he looked into that cup, that cup that he was about to drink, what a horrific thing that he was going to take unto himself. He, he, was, going to, he was drinking, in a sense, the judgment, the punishment of the world. That's why, you know, the Bible tells us, describes what he, what he went through in the garden. You know, great, he sweat great drops of blood. Uh, hematidrosis is the medical name for that condition, uh, where the capillaries in the, in the, in the, uh, uh, per, uh, the sweat glands basically explode. They burst, and somebody sweats blood. 
Uh, and as he looked into that cup, uh, just the visceral uh, gut reaction. And so you can imagine if the, if the angels here uh, were a little bit reluctant. Uh, I'm, I'm certainly glad that, uh, that we, the church, will be, if we'll be observing this at all, it will be from the grandstands. It will be from the mezzanine of heaven. Um, thank God that uh, we will not be, you know, we will return at the very end of this great conflagration. Um, but in verse 2 he says, um, or in verse 1 he says with this loud voice, go and pour out the bowls. Uh, at verse 2 it says that uh, he went and poured out the bowl upon the earth and a foul and loathsome sore came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and those who worshipped uh, his image. So here comes a very painful, oozing, weeping, uh, ugly sore upon these men. And, and, and they it's only a certain group that it's targeted here. Uh, it's those who uh, basically have taken the mark and remember the warnings thus far to the folks that would be in that particular group. And I imagine there have been many that have sat in a, in a, in a service or that have been witness to about this event that that, will that, that reminder to not take the mark well, somehow the Holy Spirit will bring that back to them, um, warning them to not take that terrible mark because of the consequences, you know, of that. And again, one of the blessings of Revelation is taking heed to the warnings. Amen? That, that's one of the blessings for those who would read this book as they simply take those warnings. A warning is a blessing. Uh, a warning isn't a blessing for someone who, who wants to proceed and doesn't want to hear it. Um, you know, a, a warning to that, that kind of person uh, just maybe angers them because they're set on it. Uh, but for the person who has an open heart and an open mind, uh, when a warning comes from God, all of a sudden there's a little flag there. there there's, you know, there's, there's a apprehension of it. There's an understanding of it. Uh, and certainly I think that will happen for many of those who have heard about this before uh, the event actually takes place. So when they find themselves in it, uh, that they will be warned and no doubt uh, they will be helped by God to not take that awful mark. And we know that, uh, you know, at this point, for those that have taken the mark, there's no remedy. There's no cure um, at this particular time. You know, the only cure for the, for the soul is Jesus Christ. It's, it's the blood of Jesus. That, that's the only cure for mankind, no matter what the ill is. You know, no matter what the condition is, it's only, you know, the blood of Jesus coming into a person's life. I was reminded of it. Uh, sometimes, you know, as you're thinking about a certain verse, sometimes a, a hymn. Uh, I love the old hymns. And uh, sometimes a hymn will come to mind. And, and, and this is a great one. There is a fountain. Uh, I'm sure you've all heard it at some point. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunge beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day. And there may I, though vile as he, wash all my sins away. Ere since by faith I saw the stream that f thy flowing wounds supply, redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. Wash all my sins away, wash all my sins away. Redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. Needs to be our theme too. Like I was praying just a moment ago, may the cross and the power of the cross, the sacrificial act of Christ, make an indelible stamp on our souls. I uh, had someone uh, email me this week 
uh, somebody from the body, and uh, they were writing some, um, some spiritual um, principles out, and they asked me if I could um, look at them and maybe make some, offer some suggestions uh, to maybe improve what they were attempting to communicate so that if an unbeliever read it, uh, they, would, they would benefit from it. And, and one of the, one of the uh, suggestions that I made is um, wh when it came to talking about Jesus was to somehow, in his own words, to interject the cross in there because that's the power center. That, that, that's the power center. Remember Paul spoke about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Uh, he said, that, you know, that the preaching of the cross, it's the power of God. What's it, Romans 1, 16? It's the power of God unto salvation. And we need to remember that. Uh, you know, sometimes, you know, we think, well, because one of the things I used to think, well, well, you know, how can I, you know, how can I apply that? How can I say it, um, uh, you know, in such a way? Uh, and, and, and again, um, don't, don't, don't think because maybe you don't feel like you're that schooled in, you know, um, Bible verse or theology, whatever the case may be. Um, you know, just share what you know. Um, and sometimes the most simple truth uh, will get somebody thinking. Um, you know, sometimes you think, well, I can't really, you know, I can't, I'm, I'm, I'm just um, not that talented, you know, um, when it comes to, you know, communicating certain biblical principles and that sort of thing. Be careful that, that you don't undercut the fact that, you know, you are a saved individual and God sometimes can take, you know, whatever you say uh, and apply it because it comes from a, from a, from a uh, you know, a genuine faith and a pure heart. God can take those things. Uh, so the cross is very, you know, very important. Now, bold number two. It says, uh, the angel, second angel, poured out his bowl on the sea, became, as bl became blood as of a dead man, and every uh, living creature in the sea died. Now, can you imagine that? Uh, an ecological disaster of that particular you know, consequence in a global kind of way. I was reading one author, and he suggested very possibly this could be uh, what we've known as red tide. Um, where there's, you know, like these uh, crustaceans and microorganisms, uh, they multiply to such a degree that the water becomes red and all the fish die. Uh, it's happened many different times. Uh, also, to this uh, judgment kind of harks back, as in, in a sense, as well, to remember Moses calling down judgment on the Egyptians. Um, and all of us have a little bit of a picture from Charlton Heston sticking his staff in the Nile River, and all of a sudden, you know, the whole river turning dark and turning into blood. Uh, so it's going to be an incredible ecological disaster. It's going to impact the oceans, you know, of the world. And uh, the oceans make up 71% of the Earth's surface. Isn't that incredible? That's like three-quarters of the Earth's surface uh, is basically water. Uh, Here's an interesting statistic. Uh, three quarters of the world's mega cities live near the sea. 80% of humanity lives within 62 miles of a coastline, and 40% live within 37 miles of a coastline. And you know that includes like, <laughs> we're not very far from a coastline here, are we? When you think about it, we don't normally think in those kinds of terms. Um, when you, when you think about the fact that uh, uh, not only the oceans, but all the fresh water uh, 
sources around the world are basically going to be uh, polluted. And, and you can only imagine the, the incredible stench when all the fish die and how that's going to contaminate. I, we were at Canandaigua Lake uh, the, other, uh, the other week, and uh, Margie was up on like a little fishing platform, and I'm, on a, I'm in a kayak. And uh, so I, I paddled up to talk to her, but the stench of fish was so bad, I, I just had I couldn't talk to her anymore. I just had to go back out into the water. And, uh, and it was probably just one dead fish there in the rocks that was just sort of stinking up the whole area. But can you imagine every fish, every living thing? You know, from crustaceans, the entire food chain, the aquatic food chain. I mean, it's one of the reasons why you realize when the Lord comes back, he's got to renovate the entire earth. Restock, resupply, renovate. <laughs> and also to what, how that's going to affect the food. There's already been food shortages. We, we've seen that thus far in Revelation. There's going to be a severe uh, food depletion. Now, bowl number three in verse four, the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers uh, and springs of water uh, became blood. And again, this is all of the freshwater sources, subterranean rivers, reservoirs. All these things are simply poisoned. And look at verse 5. I heard the angel of the water. Isn't it amazing that God has had an angel caretaker of the waters? <laughs> and sometimes when you look at some of the bodies of water around the world, you realize if it wasn't for God's intervention, everything would be polluted. In Philadelphia, I grew up in the Delaware River. There was so much junk in that river, you could practically walk across the river. I mean, it was polluted to the max because of the factories. All the factories, that, that, they're all along the river. <laughs> and, and it was scary. You know, we, we as kids would go swimming in there. And, uh, and I'm sure that if it was today, you know, they'd have a skull and crossbones, you know, uh, you know, keeping prohibiting anybody from, from going in the water there. But look what the angels say. You are righteous, O Lord, the one who is and who was who is to be, because you have judged these things. So the angel here is in absolute agreement with the righteous judgment of God. Let me just ask you a question, because I was thinking about this this week, because this is something oftentimes I flash on, I reflect on. Have you ever felt a sense of righteous indignation at some evil thing that was perpetrated and it was dealt with? And you were in agreement the fact that it was dealt with. That there's something in our nature that when we see, when there's been some kind of evil perpetrated and justice has been done, there's like a yay, amen. And it's not a vindictive kind of thing. It's not vindictive at all. It's simply you know, saying amen to the fact that judgment or justice has been met. And I think that when we see kind of, when we see those kind of things, you know, in, in, you know, in our culture, uh, that we have to be careful that we don't misapply the scripture when it says, judge not lest you be judged. Okay? Because there are things, folks, that we have to make evaluations about every day. When it says judge not, you lest you be judged, it's making a censorious kind of judgment on, on people. Just, you, we know people that are so critical. They're, they're always running around judging everything, everybody. And of course, we are not to be like that. 
But there are things, evaluations, that we have to make all the time. And, they're, and, you, and yes, they're judgments. They're not harsh judgments, but they're evaluations. I think when, we, when, when we, we see things going on in our culture, they need to break our heart. God, keep us from becoming so insensate or, or desensitized to the, to the corruption and to the evil and to the things that are taking place in our world, in our society. And when we see justice meted out, we need to agree with it and say, yay and amen, that's healthy. And that's what we see taking place here with the angel. He's in total agreement. He says, because you have judged these things. And he gives a reason for it in verse 6. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets. This is why the oceans and every river stream will run red with blood. Mankind is violent. Can you imagine what it would be like without a police force? No, we can't. You go into some places in the world, you kind of, you'll find out what it's like. What it's like not to have civil authority that will protect you. And again, these are governmental systems that God has set up that God has established for the safety and the protection of mankind. And yet we see with, with, with all that we have, you look at the violence, you look at the bloodshedding. What do you think is the greatest crime of humanity? Many of us will say, well, I think it's Adolf Hitler. Or it's Joseph Stalin. Or it might be Mao Zedong. Listen, folks, the greatest crime in history is the unmitigated murder of 1.6 billion children in the womb. That's the greatest crime in history. For the USA, it's a recorded basically 60-some million. But that's only what's recorded. It's somewhere around 80, John? Estimate somewhere around 80 million. Over 18 million are just black babies. That's really where black lives matter. He said, you have given them blood to drink, for it is their just due. I have heard another from the altar saying, basically another voice echoing agreement. Even so, Lord God, almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. And you know something, folks? We're going to be there too. We're in heaven. The church is in heaven. <laughs> and our amen and agreement will be there as well. The nations of the world have condoned the bloodletting, the legalized murder, and now the rivers and oceans will run red with it. Number four will be dubbed, I think, the great heat wave 
of such and such a year. Then the fourth angel poured out his bow on the sun, and power was given to him to scorch men with, with fire and heat. And men were scorched with great heat. They blasphemed the name of God, who has power over these plagues, and they did not repent to give him glory. This will be global warming 5.0. When you think about this kind of solar intensity, it kills all vegetation. All vegetation is basically wiped out. Also, too, you have a melting of the polar ice caps. I was doing a little research on that. National Geographic, their science department, said that if the polar ice caps melted, you know, Antarctica, uh, the North Pole, that the, that the water levels in the ocean would rise 216 feet. <laughs> 216 feet. Because I read that figure of two, over 200 feet in another source, and I said, that's, that's got to be wrong. But no, they're all saying that, if, if the polar ice caps had, me had melted. And they're saying, actually, uh, uh, climatologists are saying that over the next few decades, uh, that they're estimating that even with the present uh, you know, can, you know, uh, melt and so forth that's going on, uh, that the water levels will probably raise about 15 feet around the world. Can you imagine that? You know, as Christians, our, our difference of opinion on global warming, our climate change, is the fact that the scientists or world are saying that we're doing it. What we're saying is God's doing it. And, and even what's taking place today, I believe, is stage setting. God, God is working out his purpose. You know, no matter when you look at all the ecological measures that man may take, ultimately they're all for naught. Now, I, now I'll, I'll tell you right now, I have been a conservationist all my life. I believe in conservation. I believe in taking care of the environment. But we get a little insight here, folks. It's all coming down the very best of efforts. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't do it. I believe in the quality of life for here and now. But a day is coming when everything is going to be absolutely renovated and wiped out. And this is going to, this, this will no doubt wipe out this solar, these are probably solar flares, will have an impact in wiping out basically coastal cities. And when you look at uh, New York, Miami, San Francisco, Tokyo, um, Los Angeles, San Diego, um, Sydney, Australia, all these cities basically, uh, coastal cities will be no doubt uh, underwater. You know, from time to time when you look at these kind of things going on and nobody's repenting, everybody's cursing God. Uh, we were watching a movie like this this week. And uh, oftentimes when you, when you look at a movie, there's a crisis element to it. And what amazes me, I sit there so often 
waiting for them in their crisis to pray, to cry out to God. It doesn't happen. Not anything out of Hollywood. <laughs> Isn't it frustrating? Because you know there's something in humanity, and I'm sure even sometimes some of these true stories that, that have been communicated by way of, you know, of, uh, of a movie, that they don't honestly cover it the way you know, the actual events took place. Sometimes it is throwing a little token thing about God or whatever the case may be. And it's amazing when you see this. It, it never quite happens. So we look at verse 9, what do they do? They blaspheme his holy name. What a sad day for any person. You know, there's really only two options when it comes to trials and tribulations. You call upon him or you curse him. And hopefully now as believers we call upon him. And that was interesting in the crisis movie that we watched this week. They cursed him. They used profanities. The name of Jesus Christ and GD and all that. Really, at the end of the day, there's only really two options, isn't there? You know, curse, the, curse the situation, curse it, and curse. At the same time, you know, as they're cursing the situation, they don't realize that they, they, they bring the name of the Savior into it, the name of God into it. But oh, what deliverance is there for you and me when we call upon His name? Those who call upon the name of the Lord will, shall be saved. I always remember the story of John Harper. That was the, he was a preacher, Scottish preacher, heading to America, took the wrong boat. Titanic. Swimming around in the icy waters of the North Atlantic after the ship had gone down. Remember, 1,500 people you know, perished in that. And he's just swimming from person to person. And he was just giving people the gospel in a nutshell. And it just shows you, here are people about to die in a few moments. And he says, call upon the Lord. If you'll call upon the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. I mean, you talk about a, a lifesaver ring, an eternal lifesaver ring. And I wonder, I just wonder how many people came to Christ that night. But by golly, why do we have to wait for some crisis? Why do we? Why is, what is it with our human nature that we so often wait for some crisis to come? Isn't it wonderful just to be able to turn to the Lord all the time? He's always delivering me. Sometimes this has to deliver me from me. <laughs> from my foolishness, from my, my own wisdom, my stupidity. Oh, he's a wonderful Savior and Deliverer. He wants us to call upon him. Now the fifth bowl. 
And this fifth indictment is, is very appropriate because the Bible says, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Remember, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Then, then he says, you are the light of the world. And sometimes, sometimes don't you think that, you know, when you're sharing, the, when you're shining the light, that people just want to turn it off? They wish, you know, they wish sometimes that we had a button. You just hit the button and we're like, you know, just be quiet. We're the light of the world. Look, look what happens here. Fifth angel pours out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became full of darkness. And they gnawed their tongues because of pain. You know, his word is what? A lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. Man, everything about God is light. You know, I think the irony is when you read this is that Jesus, enduring our judgment on the cross, remember, it became darkened for those hours, those three hours. I can remember even being a kid in Catholic school, and, and we would always have off on Good Friday. And, and I can remember, even as a kid, being mindful of the fact that between, you know, basically between 12 and 3, a darkness came upon the earth. And in the back of my mind, because, you know, the, the teachers would always remind us about that, that uh, on Good Friday, even though it was a day off, a day away from school, I was always mindful of that. Because why? It was a spiritual truth that, that, that Jesus hung on the cross. Well, it certainly didn't change my life back then. But, but having heard it, I realized And he endured darkness. For you and me, remember it says, he thirsted. It was one of the sayings on the cross, I thirst. And again, that's the irony is he did this so people don't have to be in this terrible place, gnawing their tongues. Over in John chapter 3, this is said right after the most famous verse in the New Testament, that God so loved the world. Jesus quotes this right a few verses after that when he says, this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. In other words, the light of Christ, the light of truth challenges our life and a person just sort of, whatever, for whatever reason, pushes it away because I got something going on in my life I'm not ready for that right now. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. Verse 11 tells us they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and they did not repent of their deeds. So even in their severe pain, they cursed the true and the living God. Albert Einstein made this statement. He says, it is easier to denature plutonium than to denature the evil spirit of man. <laughs> that might have been the most spiritual thing Einstein ever said. 
He found it easier to denature plutonium. And it is true. But we do know who can denature the human heart, can change the human heart. Our Savior, our God, the one who created us. Bowl number six. This is the Euphrates River. Takes us back to Genesis, Genesis chapter 2. One of the four rivers that came out of Eden. Still there today. 1,800 miles long. <laughs> it's always served as a natural boundary to protect you know, that part you know, of, of uh, the Middle East. And um, the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates. And its water was dried up so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. And no doubt this is an alliance probably between China, maybe India, Pakistan, other eastern nations. It's believed that they are coming there to engage and to fight the armies of the Antichrist. And as a result of that fervent heat, solar flares, and however that's going to manifest itself, the entire Euphrates River is going to dry up. Incredible. You know, God declares that he will put hooks in the jaws of the nations. And he'll draw them into that place, that place of judgment. Well, they have wanted it. They have desired it. But at the same time, too, God is working. And, and, and even though, though we we're told here, we see the, the heavenly side of things. Also, too, there's always the human responsibility side of things as well. Because no one can say, God, you made me do it. You made me like this. People say that, don't they? Oh, God, you made me like this. No, we make ourselves like that. And that's, that's, that's the, the great hope of the gospel. That you don't have to stay like that. that. That I can change you. I can alter you. It's amazing how many, some people do so many things to change themselves. But at the end of the day, you look in the mirror and it's, you know, same old guy. Same old person. I would probably not be alive today if it was not for Jesus Christ. Because I'll tell you what, even in my 20s, I was tired of life. <laughs> you can be a young person and yet very old. Very old and tired of life within your heart. And, and the gift of salvation, man. The, the writer speaks about all the benefits. Don't you, don't you recognize that? Don't you, don't you just know that about walking with the Lord? There's just so many blessings. There's so many benefits. They're innumerable. Now John sees in these last few verses here three demonic agents. 
and he sees them in their true character. They're sort of a, they're appearing as reptiles. They're demons. Man, I think if we could ever see some of these demons that are tempting people, man, it would scare them right, it would scare them to Christ, scare them to the cross. But you know, Satan appears as an angel of light. You know, he comes as something, you know. I was watching a documentary last night about Charles Manson and, and all of the, a number of the women who had been a part of his flock and his harem. Uh, they, they, were, they were just describing, you know, this demonic power that he had to just simply deceive people. And, and how he just sort of brought them in and controlled them. But, but it was demonically. And, you know, it's interesting when you look at these kinds of situations. You know, unredeemed man has always been susceptible to demonic influence. That's why they had a special on this week on TV. And I remember when it happened back in the 70s. 900 people went down to Guyana in South America and they all drank the Kool-Aid. And it was a religious cult. The People's Temple, I think, out of San Francisco or someplace out there. I remember that. Man, what a, what a. And, and to look at, the, and the helicopter shot, looking down, you know, on their compound with 900 people dead. And, and it was like a handful. That's like a handful of people that didn't drink the Kool-Aid. And survived it. But they're talking about the, you know, just the, the demonic power that this, I tell you what, that, that's powerful. When you get people, your typical average American, to just drink cyanide or Kool-Aid, knowing that you're going to die, man, that's power over people. And that's the power that Satan can have over an unredeemed person. The most blessed protection and security any person can have is Jesus Christ in their heart. I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, Satan, out of the mouth of the beast, Antichrist, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, false deceptive religious figure, he further explains, for they are the spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. So willingly they gather their forces, they come blindly bent on destruction, but it will be their own destruction. Now Jesus here in verse 15 speaks a word of hope and encouragement. He says, behold, I am coming as a thief. He always comes as a thief to those that are not expecting him. Never for the righteous, but for those that are expecting him. See, if Jesus comes today for the church, he comes as a welcome guest. I mean, I would love to stand up here and say, okay, folks, the Lord told me 3 p.m. He's coming today. And the church would empty out that quick. <laughs> but of course we don't. We can't say that. 
We don't know that. But the Bible says, you know what? Be ready. Be ready. Are we ready to change our plans? If he comes, hey, be flexible. Whatever we have to leave behind when he comes, do you think you're going to be in heaven thinking, oh, I wish I could have done that? No way. No way. Wouldn't it be interesting if the rapture happened and here's two people at the altar getting married. (laughs) And the preacher says, and now I pronounce you man and wife. Now, do you think that they would be disappointed that they didn't make it on their honeymoon? (laughs) Or they didn't get to have their first fight? (laughs) I don't think so. That would be a honeymoon. That would be the honeymoon of honeymoons, wouldn't it? Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. So here, in the, even in the midst of this great conflict, God has his, got his eye upon his faithful. Do you know he's watching you today? He's watching over you. I mean, sometimes our parents used to say, you know, young man, I'm watching you. We know what that meant, didn't we? It's like, <laughs> you better behave yourself. But when the Lord says, I'm watching you, it's because he loves us. And he can't take his eye off us. No matter what trial or conflict you're in. He's with you. He's for you. He loves you. I think sometimes we find it hard to believe that. Because we work sometimes on a good deeds basis because we live those kind of relationships down here you know you do a real good job the boss smiles at you you do a good job the teacher puts a star on your paper and sometimes we think you know well I haven't been living up to the standard Can anyone live up to the standard? I don't think so. God is gracious. He's merciful. He's good. He's kind. He loves us in spite of ourselves. He died to give you and me an everlasting relationship with him that he can love on you and me for eternity. Is that a deal or what? Is that a deal or what? As we close, if there's somebody in your life that you love very dearly, you've been praying for them, you're concerned about them, and, and presently, they're in eternal danger. And you want to pray for them. Could be a prodigal. 
could be a friend, somebody very near and dear to your life. Could be a parent, could be a child. I, I want you to stand because let's pray for them. Let's pray for them if, if you want prayer for them. Okay. We all know somebody, right, that... Uh, <laughs> Lord, we praise you. We, we thank you that you indeed are a gracious God. As we see, even in the midst of this horrific event, you're there for your people. You're there for us today, and we thank you. And Lord, uh, we bring before you, Lord, Lord, perhaps uh, there are some here this morning that have, have cried. They've cried. They've prayed. They've done all that they could do for a loved one or for a friend, somebody near their life. And yet that person has just has kept their distance. Lord, we bring them before you, Lord. There was a time... Lord, that spoke of us. Lord, distant, far off. And by your grace, by your love, by your mercy and your kindness, Lord, you brought us in. We're so thankful now, Lord. We didn't know you then. We were ignorant. We were foolish. We just kept pushing back. And there are so many that we know and love like that. And oh, Father, we pray and ask that even now, as we lift up these folks, Lord, you see who they are. You know their names. Lord, we ask you to touch them this day and to somehow, Father, make them aware, Lord, of your love. We see judgment doesn't change one heart. Judgment hardens people. But you tell us in your word it's the goodness of God, the kindness of God that brings us to repentance. So, Lord, we pray. We pray you'd work. Work in their hearts. Break down the resistance, Lord. Let them taste and sense of who you are, Lord. Do that, we pray. Be glorified, we ask. In Jesus' precious name, amen.